Hello, I'm Alan Furstenberg. And I'm Mark Tucker, and we are Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. How's it going, Mark? It's going good. How about you, Alan? Going well enough. You know, ups, downs. It was a, um, what's the way to put this? I had a really exciting uh, project in mind that I've been working on. And I tried working on it this weekend and just ran into all sorts of weird problems. And turn to stack overflow to kind of get my mind off the problems which wasn't wise because there were a bunch of people that had their own weird problems um mm. most of those i could at least help with though so right. that was nice but it kind of made me realize that you know a couple of weeks back we talked about um best practices and how we approach things like you know how do we approach the code that we do and how do we approach testing we haven't really talked about how do we approach debugging because, you know, I don't know about you, my code doesn't always work on the first try. That is shocking. I know. <laughs> Mine um, always never does <laughs> on the first time. <laughs> so I, I figured it kind of made, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of guessing for most people, doesn't always work exactly as you expect it to on the first right. time either. So I, I figured it might make sense to, to kind of chat about you know, on the rare occasions that things don't work quite right, how do we tackle these problems? And, and to be clear to everyone, not so rare. <laughs> um, I, I, I just don't want programmers out there thinking that, you know, anyway, um, on the occasions when we do have problems, what are the, the tips and tricks that we have to figuring out what's going on and getting ourselves back on track is yeah. that's i feel like that's a huge part of what programmers really do yeah no it is there's definitely a lot of uh trying to figure out what's what's wrong what's not you know quite working right or why is it outright failing um or those cases that you're it's it's always lovely when it's worked before and then the next day it doesn't work and oh, you're like goodness yeah what did i change and so um and, and, think, it's, and it's not always, let's be clear, it's not yeah. always that you changed anything. That's true. Some, sometimes it's, you know, Amazon's or Google's language model has changed. And suddenly the things that you were doing no longer work. Or right. the speech to text has suddenly changed. And now everything just sounds weird. And how do you test that? How do you, how do we know? Yeah, so... What I'm thinking is maybe the first thing is that you need to have a good understanding of the whole system um, because you, you need to try to figure out, is this a device problem? Is this a problem where it's hitting the, um, the Alexa service or the, or the Google action service in the cloud before it gets to your you know, custom application? Mm -hmm. um, is it something in the voice application itself? Um, so, and, and also, I think as part of that, is this something that is happening because you're doing it on the, the right. test framework? Or does this really happen on real devices? Does it happen on some real devices and not other real devices? You know, yeah. does the, did the emulator not really emulate this correctly? A lot of questions that are really tough to figure out sometimes. So yeah, that's narrowing that down. That's an important first step. Yeah, and then and it could be um, also 
you need to think about you know, timeout issues or if you're making a call to an API, if something could have changed in the IP, API. So um, just having a good overview of how everything works, um, just even from a basic standpoint, just to say, oh, I'm gonna test over here or if I'm gonna test over here. Yeah. Um, Cause you have to kind of scope in on, on where you're gonna focus your attention first. Well, and I, I think actually scoping in is a good way to put it because, yeah. you know, almost inevitably the next thing you're going to do is start littering your code with console logs, right? Yeah, th that's definitely one way to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting because I, I, I can't actually think the last time I actually used a real debugger, you know, attached a debugger to my code and, and traced through things line by line as it was running. Um, I rely a lot more on logs than I used to. Oh, that's interesting. Is it because you're hitting issues that, that's in production as opposed to a, um, a local environment or? That's an interesting question. I think more of it is, be, I'm not sure it's because I'm hitting issues in production or that my mentality is now, I may need to debug things in production and how I debug things now, I, I know of the same mindset even when it's oh. not in production. Well, that's interesting because you know you do spend X number of hours added up over your lifetime as a software developer, right? Uh, that, um, you know, that could help if, you're, if that's where you're most comfortable working then when you're thrown into that situation, if that's what you've always done, like, um, like going through the console logs or, or you know, plugging in something like Sentry IO. So when yeah. something happens in production, um, that you don't even know about that you you get a, a stack frame um, and you you know what's at least kind of where the problem is to, mm -hmm. to you know zoom in on so no there is something to be said for that how do you normally debug so do you use a a, a debugger you have a debugger the, hooked up to yeah so or? a lot of times um, for local development I do I I use something mm -hmm. like ngrok or Jovo has their own um, built-in proxy that mm -hmm. points you know, your webhook down to your local box so I can use Visual Studio Code. They've made it really easy, uh, even easier before you had to like attach the de debugger and now there's just a toggle that every time you run your code, it will auto turn on the debugger and you just have breakpoints um, in there and, and off and you know, there you go. So sure. um, it, it's you know very helpful, but yeah, there's, I do like the idea of, of like I said before with Sentry, so then, then that's something that uh, is watching for things, you know, when you're mm -hmm. asleep and, and uh, can give you information. But you know, those are the two things I typically do. Um, so I probably do a little less um, debugging through console logs, but sometimes that's the only way that you have to do it. Um, no, that makes it's sense. Like, it's, it's based on what environment. And, you know, I work on different environments, so like local environment, and then I can push things to an integration dev, a staging, which is very similar to production and then production so that um, we can have different people, you know, testing in different in environments. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, some of those other environments, then you, you, you really are having to do console logs or you have to try to then duplicate the issue on your local dev and see if it's right. the same or not, right? Which it may or may not be. I think the other thing is even if you're not using console logs, the number of times you get errors um, that kind of, you need to read them and to, to, to start looking in the right direction. One of yeah. the, the really frustrating things sometimes is when you get that stack trace that comes up and says, you know, 
foo is undefined or you know yeah. foo is not a member of undefined and you're like well what's undefined here why isn't it defined yeah i think what's surprising though is is that's where your your that's where our history as programmers need to come in this isn't necessarily a voice problem it's a programming problem but you still need to actually you know read and understand the error yeah and that's not always easy to do it's not always the first thing that comes to your mind yeah i have to admit when i first started doing uh javascript more on the server i was you know i've done years of c sharp but there was something even every time i started a new language i guess there's a little bit of apprehension with starting through the stack trace because it's just like I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what this means. Yeah, I'm just like, that's, yeah. and so it's, it's you know, off to your search engine to search things up and and stuff or, um, so, you know, if you're not used to that, then, you know, just uh, bite the bullet and go ahead and jump in. It's, uh, you'll, you'll get it, it's, yeah. it, it happens, you'll learn it. I think one of the other, one of the things that is more related to voice that I keep running into is the fact that even sometimes when there are errors on the server side, they're not bad enough to actually kill the response completely. So, and, and this was part of the problem I had this weekend was it was just giving me the wrong response. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why, you know, and it was a long time until I finally bothered to look at the log and saw the error there. I'm like, oh, I'm getting nonsense back because there's an error. So this didn't complete correctly. And I didn't know it because I was still getting enough of a response back. Yeah, so that would be the, I guess the next point that I would like to highlight is, is that get to know the JSON request and response formats. Definitely. Just, you don't have to memorize everything, but you need to be able to, you know, plow through there, find individual values like, oh, this is the value that uniquely identifies the user. So then I can use that and go find it in the database if I need to, um, you know, what is the, the information like doing quite a bit with um, interactive canvas. So you get back a simple response, which is your, what your typical text-to-speech response would be, but you could also get a rich response, which includes what the URL is for your interactive canvas, plus any data that you're passing it. And, and I, I spent quite a bit of time looking in there and saying, oh, here's my mark tag. Um, yes, that, that is where I think it's supposed to be. Um, here is the, you know, the, the data that's coming back. Oh, I'm missing something in that data or you know, something's not quite uh, getting passed. Yep. So yeah, no, just, look looking at that data for me yep. a lot of my debugging ended up being looking at what was being stored in the session state that yep. was being passed back and forth and looking at it and saying well why am i missing this value here why you know it looks like i'm passing this in oh wait i'm not passing this in maybe that's the problem yeah um so tracing it down like that is certainly a big part of trying to understand what's going on. Uh, and I think with, with actions on Google, now that we've got this notion that we have um, scenes and slot filling with scenes and intents, and you've got a lot of different things and it's not always obvious how everything fits together. So right. using the, the, the debugging that's included as part of the test tool where you can open it up and say, okay, here's what matched. Here's what I did because this matched. Here's what didn't match. Here's the session state at the time. Here's the user state at the time. 
here's the webhook that I called with these values. Here's what I got back. Here's what I did. You know, the fact that it let it it can spell all of that out for you is incredibly useful, but it's a lot of information. And if you're not used to thinking about it that way, that can get overwhelming. So, you know, it, you're right. It is very much, you need to learn the request and response formats. And you kind of need to learn the rest of what is, what is the rest of that is being formatted here? What other information is it giving me as I'm testing it? Yeah, because you know you could catch something very easily just by looking at the request. And you're like, oh, it didn't find the right intent, and then you're like, oh, okay, that's you know, or any intent, right? <laughs> right. It it triggered a no match instead of the intent that I was looking for. Why didn't it find that intent? Oh, because I forgot to put any training phrases in that intent. Yeah. So that's... you know, you could you could spend an hour looking at your code trying to figure out what's wrong, but it, you're not going to find it because it's not you it's know, not it's there in the language it's, model, right? <laughs> Well, why didn't it reply back with this? Oh, because I forgot to include that reply. You know, these are there are lots of things beside the code itself that yeah. fit into this that you need to look at. Well, yeah, and um, that reminds me. So, like on on Dialogflow, you can just type in a specific uh, utterance, and it will tell you which intent it matches to, and and even um, execute it, which doesn't necessarily always help because. There's always state and stuff behind what sure but one, what one of the need, one of the things about it though is you can you know try out a bunch of different phrases and see and make sure that they match correctly right and if not well okay now you can add training phrases or see that one of your training phrases has triggered the wrong intent yeah and now you get to go figure out well why did it trigger the wrong intent and how do i fix that yeah <laughs> yeah there's um on the Alexa side of things in the Alexa developer console, there's also a tool where without actually running your code, it just checks the language model. You can type in an utterance and it will tell you kind of what order it matched this first, it matched that second um, type of thing. Um, so then that would help you know, give you something where you could uh, quickly iterate and fix your language model without having to jump into code and, and running your code, which takes longer. Mm -hmm. You know. All of these are, are kind of interesting tips and tricks. And you know, I'm sure that as soon as we're done recording this, oh yes, both of us are going to say, ah, we should have mentioned this, or we're going to get somebody writing in saying, you know, here's my here's what I always run into that that fixes it. I think one of the important things is that it's okay to run into problems. And when you do, it's okay to turn to others to help you debug it. Right. Um, Stack Overflow is fantastic for that. The forums are good places for that. The big thing though, is make sure you include as much information as you can. Right. So, you know, including an error message is great. Including the error message without showing the code doesn't always help as much. And Same. sometimes you need to give the run up of this is what happened, try to isolate and repeat it. You know, sometimes there are bugs that I hit that then I run it and I don't hit again and I never see it again. And I was and it, I know are, it's it's, it's one of those bugs are scary. Those are those are really scary. So, um, but you need to try to identify and and reproduce it and try to get it to isolate it as small as possible. You said so you can then just start playing around. Well, what if I change this here? Then you um, you, you really start you know getting to the point where then you can start asking questions or this is what I'm doing and this is the error that I'm getting. 
so th those are the types of things where somebody yep. can look at your code quickly, look at the scenario like, oh, I've hit that before, or it's probably this, as opposed to I've got this problem, no context or, uh, or too little context. Right. And you were like, I would like to help, but I can't. I just, the, you know, in every case, the more information that people can provide, the better our chances are of, of helping, of, you know, helping them figure out the problems. The other question I want to see is people will say things like, uh, here's what my sample conversation looks like, and it's giving me the wrong response here. Okay. Can I see the intents that you think should be matching? Do you have any information about what is or isn't matching? What is your code doing when it thinks it's matching? There's a lot more than just it didn't, I got the wrong answer. Right. I need everything. And you as a programmer should be thinking about everything too. You know, it's not that uh, I, I need this information because it's you know, the, the only clue it's, you know, this is my thought process. This is how I tackle a problem. And that's to start breaking down where it could be. So I guess just one thing to note on this, especially if you're working um, for a client or a, a business, make sure when you post code samples um, or information, they're sanitized. That you don't leak anything. Um, uh, it's happened. There was actually something I had posted just this last year and I had to quickly delete it because I looked over it and I, and I thought for sure, I, you know, I looked at every place that there was text or something and I'm like, oh, we're, I'm, I'm good. And I posted it. And then almost immediately I saw, oh no. Ah! And it was, oh, you know, I had leaked a little bit of information. So, um, and, and you might have to write a small sample project that, that's sanitized and just does the thing that you're having problems with too, to, to reproduce it. So then, you know, maybe you could zip that small portion up and send it someplace or. And one of the things, you know, I think my final point on this is one of the things that's really good about creating either a minimal example or just writing up everything is that at least half the time when I've started doing that, it will suddenly occur to me, oh, that's the problem. And I don't have to actually post it. You know what else works for me? is I'm like, I just need a second set of eyes. Let me just walk you through the problem I'm having. And as I'm explaining the situation, yep. sometimes it just clicks like, oh, maybe it's this or, or something, or the, or you know, if that doesn't work, then the, then the person You've sometimes the has an idea of different things to try, just a fresh set of eyes. Have you ever heard of the phrase rubber duck debugging? <laughs> I have heard of that. <laughs> That's what it is, it's, you know, you have to explain it. So you, you have to explain it to somebody. Why not explain it to the rubber duck? <laughs> and he just might be able to help you figure it out. Ernie's laws of programming. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. One, one other thing I want to point out on debugging is um, just the timeout issue. You want to make sure that the request and the response comes back in a certain amount of time. It's, it's, it's around five seconds, I think, for Google, seven yeah. seconds for Alexa. Um, if it takes that, you know, too much time, you know, like if you've got a break point, you're obviously going to break that, um, that time. But you could still walk through your code to a point where you could probably figure it out. But if the problem is that it's not coming back um, with the response, then maybe it's a timeout in your code. And if you're using something like Lambda, then it's going to show you for every request response to the Lambda 
how much time it took. But um, I actually learned that it, there's an additional value that gets passed when it's a cold boot time. So the whole mm -hmm. time, what's gonna typically be recorded is how much time it takes for the code to run. But there's this other value, if it happens to be a cold uh, Lambda start, that's gonna take some more time. It's not calculated in the amount that you're billed, but it is still calculated in the overall time of how long it takes. So you might be hit in a situation where you're fine typically when the Lambda is running and warm, but the first time it takes some time, especially if you've got lots of libraries that you're pulling in and, and things like that, then, uh, then that might be, be the problem to check. Related problem that I see a lot of is, you know, when I am developing something and testing it, seems to run, you know, reasonably quickly on my machine. And then I go and deploy it and it takes an inordinate amount of time on the Lambda or the cloud function. And it's because that it needs more CPU in those cases. So, right. you know, don't- 256 may not be enough. Don't be yeah, stingy. Don't, uh, don't assume that if you can get it in just under the five second mark on your machine, that it, it'll be okay on the network because it won't. <laughs> right. You know, so well, especially if you've got additional latency, like if you're running it out of US East, but you're using the same Lambda for the UK, yeah. then you're adding additional latency to it. Right, that, and you've got an API and you, know, you, need, you don't know where that API is running. And it may be closer to you at home than it is at Amazon or, you know. Yeah. You, it, it's, don't, you know, we say five minutes, uh, five seconds, five minutes. Mm. We say five seconds, don't try to push that number. You want to make yeah. it as fast as you can. Five seconds is an eternity to a user. It, two seconds is it for really voice. is. Seems like a lot longer than two seconds for a visual because at least you've got some sort of a cursor or like yeah. progress bar or something on the UI that you can fake it to make it look like, oh yeah, it's it's doing something. And but with voice, if there's just this quiet for two seconds, it's eternity. Yes, it is a, a long time. Oh, I've got a question. Um have you ever hit the situation where your response uh, payload size is too large that it just dies? No, I have not heard that one. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just an Alexa actually, thing, but with, with no, APL, I, like if I'm doing lots of lists and things or a big APL payload, there's things that you can do to, to mitigate that issue. Um, but, and I can't remember what the number is. Um, for some reason, 52,000 or you know, 52K pops into my head, but I'm not exactly sure if that's if that's the right number. But. And I and I take it back because I do now remember a situation where I have seen a Stack Overflow question that amounted to, you know, that that showed it. And again, this was a case where fortunately the person provided a lot of information. And my observation was that JSON looks truncated that you're reporting. You haven't shown me everything, but I think whatever you're showing me is getting truncated and is too big. And I don't remember what we eventually figured out the size was, but it did turn out they were just sending back a payload that was larger than they could. Yep. And again, this is another example of why it's important to understand what the request and response looks like, at least get a feel for what may look odd. Yeah, because you, you know, the, as you're getting into it, then you kind of get used to what it typically looks like. 
if you start scrolling through something that's really big and then just kind of ends, you're like, oh, this isn't looking like a typical yeah. response. Or, you know, there are fields that I expect here that are missing. Um, why? Yep. So that's the, the kind of feel that you need to get when you're doing debugging. So if you've got debugging tips or debugging stories or nightmares, <laughs> yes, we'd love to hear them. Uh, feel free to comment below or find us on Twitter. And maybe we'll talk about them another time on Two Voice Devs. That sounds good. Take care, everybody. Two Voice Devs. Take care. <laughs>